Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about tears and how they are the number one tool for helping your child get unstuck from problematic behaviors. I'm going to start off by sharing about tears and how they came into play on one of the hardest days I've had recently. I'm recording this podcast um, while we're still dealing with the stay-at-home orders because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And about a week ago, my youngest daughter, who has struggled off and on with constipation over her lifetime, we haven't had an issue in two years, but for whatever reason, a few weeks ago, she started experiencing the, you know, telltale signs of constipation again. And for anybody who has a child who's had chronic constipation, you know how terrible the experience is when your child associates pain with pooping, it is terrible because it becomes this vicious cycle that's very difficult to come out of. And as I said, this is something I haven't had to deal with over the last two years. We got past this period of um, several year period where she struggled with constipation and we uh, sought the advice of doctors, naturopaths. We had her on all kinds of things to help her with her problem. And it kind of went away when she finished potty training. And then a couple of weeks ago, like I said, it came back and I attribute it to honestly a change in the weather, which changed us to become much more sedentary than we had been. We had been really trying to make a point of exercising, moving our bodies, walking. We have this bouncy house thing we've put out on the deck to try and keep our kids active, but we really had become more sedentary. So I think that was at the root of it, but I digress. I want to talk about tears and how they came into play in dealing with this really challenging situation with my youngest. So the constipation creeped up. We kind of worked through it and she seemed fine. And then a week later it started happening again and it was even worse. And it was days and days and days of her having accidents and leaking and it was just it was terrible and I knew as each day got close each day would pass and she had not been able to fully get past the constipation I knew that I had to do something that I had never had to do before which was to give her an enema which I'm not going to go into all the gory details However, the idea of talking a five and a half year old into an enema who's never had one before, it was really wild in terms of me having to explain how this worked, why we had to do this. It was either that or a suppository. And that's what we used to use when she was much younger. And she really was terrified 
of having a suppository. So she chose between the two, the enema. And so we kind of had to build up to the day this is going to happen. If one more day went by and she hadn't been able to go to the bathroom, then we were going to have to do this enema. So the day arrived and I sat her down and I explained in great detail what happens when she gets constipated, what I had the, the book in front of me that I used that explained exactly how to explain to your child what happens to their system, what happens when the colon gets swollen and, and everything gets packed up and that we need to relieve it so that she can feel better again and so that everything can return to normal size so she does not continue down this cycle of constipation. So on this day that we had to do the enema, I basically was in the bathroom with her, what amounted to at the end of it to be about a six hour process because she was not ready right away to try the enema. She wanted to take some baths. She wanted to try to go to the bathroom a few times. We had to go around and I was not gonna pin my daughter down and force this thing on her. It had to be when she was willing. It had to be when she'd accepted it. Now, what she needed to do to accept the fact that I was gonna give her this enema amounted to her needing to cry. She had to accept that this thing had to happen, that she had to have this enema because she was so constipated, but she just was having a really hard time with it. And so we would talk about it, I'd talk her through it. We got out the enema, we warmed it up. And then she said, I'm not ready to do it yet. First, I need to cry. And then she'd have these big cries and then she'd say, okay, I think now I'm ready, but then she wouldn't be ready because then she needed a bath. And this went on for hour after hour after hour with her. Finally, she was willing to let me give her the enema. And it was, as you can imagine, not pleasant at all, but we got started and she was kind of like really uncomfortable and not the whole process was so terrible. And as I was sitting there doing this enema on my child, I'd never done this before. All of a sudden it occurred to me that I didn't know if I actually had taken the cap off properly on the enema. I wasn't sure if any of the liquid is getting inside of her and I was terrified. So then I said, okay, I'm going to have to pull it out for a minute and check and see if the water is actually getting inside you. And of course, once I pulled it out, she wouldn't let back in. And sure enough, I found out that the enema actually was going in just fine. And it was just going in slowly because she was so backed up and there was so much of a blockage there. But then we had to go through another couple hours of, you know, it did work a little bit. So she did actually have some success on the toilet, but then we got her back into the bathtub a few times and I had to talk her back into doing this enema. My husband finally came up around hour five to relieve me so I could go in to my room and take a break. And guess what I did? I cried. I cried and cried because I didn't want to break down for my daughter. I didn't want to worry her. I didn't want to send the message to her that this is more than I could handle. It was really important that she knew that I was strong and that I could do this and I could support her and it wasn't too much for me, but it was too much for me. So when my husband came up to kind of supervise her in the bath on bath number 10 at this point, I went into the bedroom and I cried because I was having such a hard time seeing her be so uncomfortable going through the process of talking to her for all these hours into this process, finally getting the enema into her and then not having it work properly, I was just undone. And so then I went back into her after I'd had my good cry and we were gonna try again. And then she looked at me and she said, can I change my mind? 
can we do the suppository instead? And I said, sure, let's change our mind. Either way will work. And so we changed course and it was not as scary as she remembered it being. It was not terrible and it did the trick. But the point of telling you this is not to gross you out with a story about giving my five-year-old an enema and a suppository for her terrible constipation. The point of the story was how much crying and tears helped both of us out dealing with what was such a difficult day, a difficult process. And it was a perfect illustration of how tears can be so helpful when a child can access those emotions and is willing to cry when they can not do anything different, when they realize they have to accept that they have to face what is in front of them that might be scary, that might be sad, the only thing there is left to do is to cry and that the crying can help them feel better on the other side. So it worked for both of us. As the day went on, after we went through this, I honestly was quite traumatized. It was really, really hard for me to do this with my daughter and maintain my cool the whole time. So when I came out, I have three other children and I basically had neglected them. Now granted, my husband was with them. They were fine. They were taken care of, but my seven-year-old has a really hard time not having access to me for that period of time when I'm in the house, particularly when I'm with her little sister. So then I had to deal with all of her emotions that were coming from her because she was very frustrated that I was with her younger sister and not with her, even though she understood that there was a reason behind it. She was very jealous over this two-week period, very jealous with all the attention that her younger sister was getting because she was going through this problem. So she was giving me all kinds of behaviors because of her feelings and her frustration. And then on top of that, I had uh, my oldest teenager, my oldest child who was having some, her own struggles and she was really needing some support. And I just got to the point where I was like, I am literally going to lose it. And I looked at my husband and I said, I need to get out of here. And so I jumped into my car and I drove off to you know, a neighborhood close by. And initially I felt extremely numb. I hopped into the car and granted I was trying to drive safely. I wasn't road raging, but I just needed to get away. And I felt incredibly numb. I felt almost emotionless, like this void, which is not a healthy place for anybody to be in for a long period of time. But I drove to a spot that was pretty secluded and I pulled over and I just bawled. I just let out all of the frustration. And yes, what I went through with my daughter was part of it. But honestly, to be completely truthful, all of us are going through a lot. We're on week eight of stay-at-home orders. We have been you know, completely isolated from the outside world. We've been dealing with the stress of trying to keep our families safe from this pandemic. We've been dealing with all the stresses around what this means for us and our family financially. We've been dealing with having all of us under one roof, all these feelings, all these emotions, and it's a lot for us as parents to handle. So I, this day was kind of like a cathartic opening up the dams in all the ways, all the ways you want to interpret the opening of the dam is for my youngest daughter with her constipation, as well as me with my emotions and my need to just get out a good, serious cry. And I did so in the privacy of my car where I could pull off and not, you know, freak out my children by having this raw emotion that was kind of triggered in me by being really overwhelmed. But by releasing those emotions, I felt so much better on the other side as do my children when they're able to access their tears and have a good cry. So I told that story at the front because I wanted you to kind of see how, you know, crying 
we as adults sometimes don't allow ourselves to access those feelings and it's so necessary so that we don't walk around feeling so frustrated. And the same is true for our children. When our children are able to cry and face the futilities of life, the things of life that they cannot change and cry and feel sad, they become more resilient. They become adaptive human beings and they can feel it's survivable. They can get through hard things and come out on the other side and be so much stronger. And those are really important building blocks for maturation, for growing up, for maturing and becoming who we are meant to be as mature, emotionally evolved human beings. So helping your child access their tears is a huge piece of this puzzle. And tears are the key to this adaptation, to this resiliency. Because when kids accept loss and disappointment, they're transformed emotionally. And that leads to emotional maturity. And that is required to thrive and mature. Here's the interesting thing though about tears. They're not all created equally. I found this so incredibly fascinating when I was introduced to the science behind tears. I read many er, um, articles and I'm going to um, post some of these to my show notes. In particular, a couple of articles that were posted by Dr. Deborah McNamara about crying and tears. And I used some of the information she shared today to inform my podcast. And again, I'm going to link those articles to my show notes so you could read more information there. But again, like I said, not all tears are created equally. There are the tears that kind of, when you get something in your eye, when you yawn, when you chop an onion, the benign tears, those tears are chemically very, very different than the tears that get released when you are sad. The chemicals in tears are vastly different. There's a researcher, his name is William Frey, and he actually did scientific research on the chemical compounds of different types of tears. Tears that are cried that are benign, again, those are the onion yawny tears versus the ones that are released when you're sad. And the interesting thing is only the sad tears, the tears that we release when we feel those feelings, those tears actually include toxic proteins. So you literally cry out toxins when you sad when you cry sad tears. If you didn't cry your sad tears and you held them inside, you'd be holding inside also those toxins. So when you cry your sad tears, when your children cry those sad tears, it helps their body release toxins, which helps their body return to a healthier balance. I think that is so incredibly fascinating. When I learned that, I realized that getting my children to release their sad tears was so important beyond just the fact that it could help them feel better on the other side, but it's actually detoxifying. I just became really, really obsessed with this idea, not to provoke my children to, uh, to cry by being mean to them, of course, but to help them access the tears that they feel when they are feeling very vulnerable feelings like sadness, like loneliness, those feelings that they feel that sometimes they don't want to feel, but they need to feel to be able to become resilient and adaptive, like I just said a few minutes ago. So it's our job not to try and stop our children's tears, but instead to, to do just the opposite and try and draw out those tears in our children. Now, some kids do not find their sad tears very easily, and those tears actually become stuck. 
and they can become stuck for many reasons. I will talk to clients sometimes about their children who have problematic behaviors and I'll ask them, do your children, does your child cry? Do they cry sad tears? Now, some children cry when they're angry, when they're ragey, when they're mad. And those tears and those types of cries they can do, but it's very hard for them to cross over and for those mad tears to turn into the sad tears. And that's where we want kids to get to. A lot of times kids trying to avoid the feelings of sadness and access to sad tears, they can become even aggressive and they put up defenses to keep them from feeling these sad feelings. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Other reasons tears can get stuck. If your child is highly sensitive, if they're part of that 20% of the population, the so-called orchid child, Oftentimes, it's even harder for them to feel those very vulnerable feelings. And so they defend themselves from feeling those feelings. It's not as easy for them to cry those sad tears. It freaks them out. They get spooked by it. Another reason why tears can get stuck is a child fears separation from their attachments. They fear that if they access those very vulnerable feelings, it's going to feel like a separation from their attachment. So they won't let themselves go there. They won't let themselves feel those vulnerable feelings. Other reasons why tears get stuck, sometimes children, they lack a sense of safety from wounding. So they learn in general to numb their feelings. They harden their hearts because they fear emotional wounding or because it becomes too much in the highly sensitive child. It is essential that we have children that have soft hearts for them to be able to grow and mature. It's another part of one of the keys to help a child grow and mature is for them to continue to have a soft heart, not a hardened heart that doesn't access those feelings and sadness easily. It's a cause for concern, frankly, if your child cannot feel their soft, vulnerable, sad feelings, because typically kids who are numbing their feelings Numb feelings also like caring. So they don't care about anything. They numb all feelings. They don't just pick and choose. And that can cause to more problematic behaviors down the road. Other reasons why children's tears get stuck sometimes is because it's the parents who are very uncomfortable with their children's tears. They feel guilty maybe that their child is sad so they rush to stop the, the crying. They quickly try to fix the problem. They try and stop the tears from coming and stop the tears um, because they feel very uncomfortable with their child's sadness. They feel guilty or they're very empathetic and it's really hard to see our children sad and suffering. So they rush to stop it. They don't let their child get there very easily. Also, as I mentioned, sometimes parents, they believe that tears are a sign of weakness. They've taught their child that they're not safe to cry or it's a sign of weakness. Sometimes parents can say things like, there's nothing to cry about, or that's not something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Those are very damaging to children to hear those messages. We also might send like less abrasive messages saying things like, calm down, stop crying. You don't need to cry about this. When we say those things, you know, just trying to calm our child down or basically invalidating these feelings and these emotions are having and sending messages that there's something wrong with crying. So if you think that your child's tears are a bit stuck, 
your child, you'll know this because A, you won't see a lot of tears coming from sadness, but also your child's probably walking around with a lot of frustration, maybe little bouts and explosions of aggression coming from a child, either physical aggression or uh, verbal aggression. So children who have stuck tears, it's important to get them unstuck. You can help them release those stuck tears by presenting them with a futility. I mentioned, um, I've mentioned this phrase, it's um, Dr. Gordon Neufeld who wrote, uh, Hold On To Your Kids. He speaks to this concept of being the agent of futility and the angel of comfort for our children. The agent of futility, that's the person who says no. That's the person who sets the boundary. That's the person who takes away something that is being used inappropriately, that says, nope, we're not gonna do this. We're gonna leave the park. The agent of utility, the person who says no. It is very generous to give a no. Sometimes we think, oh, it's easier just to give in and get the kid what they want, to stop the whine, to stop the crying. Think of this in turn, instead of being very generous, to give a no, knowing that it might trigger a big emotional response. It might trigger your child to become very angry, to have a tantrum. But on the other side of that is what we're going for, sadness, for a child to access the sadness that comes with not getting their way, the sadness that comes with facing a futility. This is a very important thing to present to your child, to give those generous no's, to set those limits, to not always give in to their demands. It's essential because your children need to experience that frustration, accept it. And when they accept it, you'll know because instead of tantruming and getting angry, the feeling shifts from mad to sad. And when you get to sad, that's when you're gonna get to those tears. And then again, that saying that Dr. Neufeld saying, agent of utility and angel of comfort, that's when you sweep in and become the angel of comfort. When your child has gone to sadness, that's when they'll accept your comfort often. That's when you can come in and you can hug your child. You can be empathetic. You say, I know it's really hard to not get a yes when you, when you really wanted a yes and to have to hear a no instead. And you can comfort your child and help draw out those tears. It's very tricky to be the one who presents the no, but also is a comforter. I understand that. And if your child's tears are pretty stuck, it can be really difficult to get those sad tears to come if your child has a really hard time accessing those feelings. In those cases, it might be easier for your, to be able to get your child to go through this process and get to their sadness if it's someone else or something else that has, that has presented the futility to your child. For example, let's say your child is trying to get on a soccer team and it's a tryout team and a cut sport and they don't make it on. They have just been presented with a futility. Now we might as parents rush in to try and tell our child, oh my gosh, you should totally have made it on the team. You are you know, good enough. We're trying to comfort our child and make them feel better because we are spooked ourselves by their sadness. Maybe your child didn't get the part they wanted in a play. This has happened quite a bit in my household. I have kids who are involved in the performing arts. They try out for plays. They don't get in at all, or don't, they don't get the part that they want, and they feel sad. And again, there's a temptation to try and make your child feel better or say, I'm going to go and see if I can get you a better part, or you know, let's just drop out of the play, or you'll try out for something another day and get the lead another day. That may all be true, but in this moment, you need to embrace this as an opportunity to help your child accept a futility and get from being angry and mad to sad. 
So you stay there with your child. Oh my gosh, you didn't get the part you wanted. That's really disappointing. You didn't get on the soccer team. That's really hard. That's a sad thing to face. Help your child access sadness underneath that. When they do and those tears come, it's really important to hold space for that emotion. And if your child has a hard time crying, and I have some of these children in my own household, you need to hold this space as sacred. If those sad tears come out of your child who typically has pretty stuck tears, the whole world stops. This is the most important thing. And you need to sometimes stay quiet. You know your child. You need to stay empathetic. Sometimes physical contact can help, giving your child a hug or just kind of putting your hand on their shoulder or hand on their leg. Other times just staying present is really helpful to get those tears to flow. So your child can go through this adaptive process and recognize that this is something survivable, that they can get through a disappointment, they can face a futility, they can feel sad about it, and then they can feel resilient. They can come out on the other side and they can build themselves up. You don't have to do it for them a lot of times. They'll come back on the other side of that sadness and say, okay, I didn't make the team, but I'm just gonna try harder. I'm gonna keep practicing and maybe next year I'll make it. All right, I didn't get the part I wanted in the play, but you know, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna accept the part I was given and I'm gonna give it my very best. I'm gonna do the best I can with the part I was given. That's a resilient and adaptive human being who's been able to accept sadness, accept something that's really hard to accept. And that's what we want our children to be doing. And tears are essential for this child. If you have a child whose tears just seem really stuck, it can sometimes be helpful to have them access those feelings when it's not personal. And you could do this by maybe watching a sad movie with them or reading them a sad book or playing sad music. This can help a child sometimes access those more vulnerable, sad feelings in a way that doesn't feel quite so hard because it's not happening to them, it's happening to somebody else. And they can experience sadness. They can maybe even be moved to tears and basically have an experience of having those feelings. I'll never forget the time that I walked in to my oldest daughter's room. And again, I've shared about the fact that I have some children who are highly sensitive. My oldest is one of these children. And for her, tears are hard to come by, sad tears. It's something she's not very comfortable with. Well, when she was reading the Harry Potter series and she got, I won't spoil it in case anyone out there has not read it, but when she got to the book where a very, very significant, important character dies, I happened one day to walk into a room and she was reading that book and I walked in and there were tears in her eyes. And it's something I'd never seen in her before, watching a sad movie or reading a sad book, but she loved Harry Potter. It still to this day does, but she loved these books so dearly. And when she read the part where this character died, it, she was overcome with emotion and I happened to catch it. And I walked in on her with these tears in her eyes and this look in her face. And I realized, oh my gosh, you know, thank you, you know, to, to this Harry Potter series and the author who was able to evoke this emotion in children, particularly children for whom it's really hard to access those sad feelings. So this can be helpful for a child who has a hard time accessing those feelings to, again, expose them to books, movies, things that might dwell these feelings inside of them. It's very important with children who have stuck tears to normalize tears to normalize crying. Now, I did not advise 
crying in the face of frustration caused by your children. This is different. That needs to be reserved. Notice that in the story I told in the beginning, I got in the car and I drove away to have those tears. I had my husband relieve me to give the bath to my daughter when I needed to go in and cry a bit because it was such a difficult situation. I needed to kind of create some space and safety to be able to have a full release of my emotion without it freaking my kids out. When we cry in the face of our frustration that is triggered by our children, they become highly alarmed. What basically we are communicating to our children is that they're too much for us to handle. And that can be really, really scary to children. However, there are times when we might be moved to tears, when it's not a bad idea for your child to see you crying, to normalize you having a soft emotion. For example, let's say there's been the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're watching a sad movie I love going to the theater when we're able to go to the theater again. And there are movies and musicals and plays that evoke a lot of emotion in me. My children have seen me cry in those things. Normalizing the experience of crying for our children is important. So they recognize that it is normal and healthy to experience these feelings. Sometimes children have different reactions to seeing their parents cry. Uh, your real orchid children might always be alarmed by seeing an adult cry because tears and sadness is alarming for them. It's hard for them to access. And when they see an uh, adult, a loved one, someone who is in taking care of them cry, it might make them feel a bit alarmed. Some children that will move right into want to connect with their parent, their caregiver who is crying because they feel really empathetic and they want to kind of try and comfort your child. While it's very sweet, it's not necessarily what we want to be encouraging either. Their children need to be our caretakers. So connecting with our child, if your child wants to be moved close to you or feels a little bit alarmed, saying, you know, I'm crying right now because I just got some really hard news or this movie is just really touching me. And crying is a way that I feel better. When I release this emotion, I feel better on the other end. It's also important for children to have a new narrative than perhaps the narrative that we were given about crying. It used to be very common that all people freely shared their emotions. Men, women, everybody shared their emotions very openly. However, in the last few generations, there's been this messaging, particularly unfortunately with boys and men, that strength comes from keeping your emotions hidden, that it's a sign of weakness to cry. And there's a lot of messaging that still goes on, particularly in sports, where kids are told not to cry, that it is a sign of weakness, you know, don't cry, be brave, be courageous, don't cry. We need to change that narrative. We need to let our kids know that it actually takes a lot of courage and bravery to cry, that it is a very strong person who can access their feelings, that allows themselves to feel the most vulnerable of feelings. And that is something that our children need because, again, it is so important for their emotional health and well-being to maintain a soft heart. And that includes crying. So I want to encourage you to look at your child's crying in a new light than perhaps you have in the past. To recognize that tears can be the key to your child moving through difficult behaviors. If your child is frustrated, they might need to have a good cry. And on the other side of the cry, if you make space for those tears and you don't tell your child to stop crying or going to the room, if you make space and you become that empathetic, that angel of comfort, you can really help your child 
move through this process and learn to adapt to the things that they can't change in their life. And this will make them healthier, stronger, and more emotionally mature human beings in the long run. I hope that is helpful information for all of you. Go out there and have a good cry. It might help you feel better yourselves. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.